morning, everybody. How are you? My name is uh, Eric. I'm the uh, pastor of musical worship here at E3. I've been here for um, a little over six years. Uh, missed the first couple years of E3, but have been here for quite a bit. And uh, this is, I guess, oh, what, what is this, Dan? The third, fourth, fifth pathways. Fifth pathway. So this is the fifth time I've been through this 40 days with, uh, with you guys. We've done all kinds of, of different, different themes and uh, different sort of ideas to wrap around this idea of what can happen to somebody in 40 days if they just really take a block of time and set it aside and say, I'm just going to surrender. I'm going to surrender this, this block of time just to see what God might do. And, and in that, in that uh, sort of setting aside and in that, that goal for us is, is kind of a radical idea. And that is just this, that, that Pathways is really about you. And it's about us as a community. It's, it's sort of about the staff, I guess, in the sense of like we, we go away and we think of like, well, what do we feel like our community needs to know this year? But ultimately, this 40 days is about you about what you're willing to let God do in your life, sort of around, and we just provide the framework, but you guys hang your lives, and God works through that framework during this 40 days. So uh, I'm really happy. I wanna invite first uh, somebody up on stage. This is a good friend of mine. You guys might know her as well. This is Suzanne Matthews. Uh, this is, uh, Suzanne is, a, is an, an artist and an art therapist, and she's going to be kind of doing something special today. And so we're going to let her kind of get set up. And um, what I want to do now is basically to tell you that this is a topic that, that I'm very, very passionate about. This whole idea of training and hopefully some of the reasons why I'm passionate about it will come out over these next minutes that we have together. But in the in the interest that Pathways is really about you, what we've tried to do is find some people in our community that we can say each week, you know, like this person's life has been touched by this subject. You know, so who, who has been touched by an aspect of training over the past you know, year, two years or whatever? And uh, there was a young lady who's a friend of mine and, uh, as well and who, who uh, serves in a couple different ministries around E3. Her name's Lindsay Newberry. And uh, so she agreed to just be, have a brief interview about what training means in her life. So if you guys would turn your attention to the screens and hear what Lindsay has to say. I'm a, a goal setter. I don't always meet my goals, but I always have something that I'm working towards. So for me, it was important to learn, okay, I'm not going to memorize all the Bible verses in one night, you know? I, it's gonna take time. It's gonna be a gradual process. Goals can be as simple as, you know, pray every night before you go to bed or read the Gospels, which is what I'm currently doing. Um, God put that on my heart this year. So they can be, you know, the easier they are to attain, the more likely you are to actually follow through with them. I also learned to utilize the people that God already put in my life. Um, you know, just ask them questions, not be afraid to make myself look dumb occasionally, which I'm really good at. I think that by participating in the ministries that I'm in, I'm able to build my strengths and use the passions that I have 
um, to glorify God and that helps me grow spiritually. I started teaching E3 kids and I didn't know what the stories that I was teaching to them, but it allowed me to learn on their level, which is what I needed. You have to really look at your life and think, what am I doing that's glorifying God? And what am I doing that's bringing me farther away from Him? And if you evaluate each one of those things, I think it's easier to go from there and say, okay, I'm gonna cut out this, this, and this. Because not that it's a bad thing, but it's not honoring God, and it's not taking me to where I know God wants me to go. I say just take a step, you know, don't be afraid to be vulnerable, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, spiritual training is like any other kind of training, you know, it's a process, it takes hard work. Um, even though you have your community around you, you have to set aside time every day to spend with God, and if you forget, do it the next day. It's okay to forget, you know, but just keep at it and work at it every day. My name is Lindsay and I personify training. So Lindsay's one of these people that have discovered this secret uh, that I like to refer to, and that is just, she said it in the video, that spiritual training is just like any other form of training. And uh, what I want to do is kind of, of talk about this in, in a different way for some of us, um, I want to invite you to turn in your, in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. It's also on the fridge folder, it'll be on the screens. You cannot avoid Colossians 3 this morning. Um, this passage to me ha just hit me like a ton of bricks about, I don't know, like six months ago. And I just got stuck in it. And what I want to do is just, I want to read the whole passage through. And then I want to kind of talk about what hit me so hard. Uh, it's written by Paul, who's writing to some churches in, in an area of the Mediterranean. And he writes this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other. He says, you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. And then he wraps up with these next two paragraphs. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. And remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 
Above all, clothe yourselves, there it is again, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message of Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach, counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful, thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whew. That's like an avalanche. Uh, that's, that's the way I felt when I read it. And yet I couldn't like break that passage up into anything smaller because of the thread that, that was weaving its way through it to me. And, and what stood out to me and where I want to kind of start this idea is the particulars of Paul's language. And, and I want to start by kind of telling you a little bit of the way I understood my faith for a long time in my life. And it was just this. Jesus died for your sins. Have faith in that. And that's all. That's rocking. That's good. It was a very, for lack of a better word, it was a very, very passive face. Pa fa passive faith. I can't do anything to save myself. Jesus did it. End of story. Go about your business. But when I started to read the New Testament, when I started to read Paul's letters, and, and, it, and it's here, I began to be troubled by the way Paul talks about the spiritual life. Because if you catch, in particular, the verbs that Paul uses, they are not passive verbs at all. So like this week, I, I did a really quick survey of all the letters of the New Testament. Uh, everything outside of uh, just a very few small books. And so I want to give you a sampling of the verbs when Paul and other writers of the New Testament are talking about the spiritual life, these are the verbs that they use. And see if this is passive or active. Give yourself to God. Don't let sin. Do those things. Let the Spirit give your bodies. Change the way you think. Put on armor. Clothe yourself. Put on Christ. Stay free. Let the Holy Spirit guide. Do good things. Throw off. Let the spirit get rid of, imitate. He goes on, hold up, count yourself, work hard, hold firmly, press on, put into practice, produce fruit, continue to follow. We're not done. Set sights, think, put to death, strip off, put on new, learn to know, clothe yourself again. Very fond of the clothing yourself. Let peace rule. And then finally, let the message of Christ dwell. Devote yourself. Live as an obedient child. This is, this is Peter's words here. Be holy. Then uh, John, arm yourself. Make every effort. Love by actions. Defeat evil. Okay, let's hold there for a second. Do those sound like passive words? Do those sound like just, hey, have faith and just let God do the work? There is something that is threaded through the New Testament that over and over again, they are saying, you have a responsibility in this spiritual life. If you desire to personify Christ, you have a role in that. That it's not just about, well, just let Jesus do the work. That's not the way Paul conceived of the spiritual life. 
And even Jesus had these kind of things to say. Now, these aren't so much verbs as completely different categories. See, Jesus just calls us stuff. And some of the other New Testament writers just calls us stuff. Says, you're not this anymore. Jesus says, let's bring that slide up, Dan. Uh, you are salt. This isn't even a matter of verb. Jesus just changes your category. You're not a human being anymore. You're salt. You're light. You're the vine. You're a new creation. You're a letter, Paul wrote. You're an ambassador for Christ. We've been, that verse has been coming up over and over again in our teaching and our worship gatherings. You are living stones, Peter writes. So as I began to just struggle through all of this, the way the writers of the New Testament and Jesus talk about me, I came to sort of two conclusions. The first is that there's something very, very peculiar going on here. That it's not just a matter of me passively accepting life. That there's something that I need to do to bring something about in this life and in this world. And the second thing is I really have no idea how to do most of this. I mean, in my, in my own sort of space, I have no idea how to clothe myself with Christ. In my own way of thinking, I have no idea how to change myself from Eric into salt of the earth. I have no idea how to change myself from, you know, just who I am when I wake up grumpy every morning because I'm not a morning person, how that guy becomes the light of the world. It's got to be at least 10 a.m. before the light of the world shows up, I can tell you. <laughs> but what we're talking about here and what, we're, what clicked in my mind and what I want to try and suggest to you is that over and over again, the New Testament writers are talking about something that has to come out of essentially nothing. Something that has to be established, that has to be brought to life out of something that's not there. Salt, not there. Vine, not there. Clothing myself, not there. But these writers say over and over again, it has to happen and it can happen. And so when you are talking about something that is brought to being out of nothing, you know what we're talking about? We're talking about art. We're talking about art and we're talking about artists. The idea that something doesn't really exist and then some work happens and all of a sudden something that wasn't there now is there. Again, it's in its rawest form, that's what art is. It's something that's produced that wasn't there. Now see, like, this clicked with me. You know, because I don't know if, if you guys haven't seen me at the, at the triathlon finish lines lately. Well, that's because I don't run triathlons. <laughs> so when we talk about training, I just want to be, just be really honest. When we talk about training, sometimes that metaphor <laughs> breaks down with me because I don't really train so much. But I understand what it means to bring something out of nothing. I understand the training and the work that comes uh, and that makes something that wasn't there before happen. And I want to just ask you this question. Have you ever thought of your life 
as a work of art that is waiting to be created. Have you ever thought that that is actually something that God calls you to do? To create something that is not there. The salt, the light, the vine, the living stone that God is calling you to be that does not exist right now. Have you ever thought that God is calling you to be an artist and to create your own life? Not in any way, but in a very particular way that he has given. So how do we do this? Like, how do you get to this? I, another story, I've shared this with some of you guys. See, I used to just think that, uh, that with my passive faith that came, uh, that along with that came with this idea, excuse me, of, of what Jesus did for me. And what Jesus would do for me is like I would live my life and I knew I would fall short. I would mess up. I would make mistakes. Then I would go to Jesus. I would get forgiveness and then I would go on my way. And what I began to realize in a way that like Jesus was shampoo. It's Jesus shampoo. You ever seen, everybody ever read the directions of shampoo? What's it say? It says, wash, rinse, repeat. And Jesus for a long time was shampoo to me. He washed me, he rinsed me, and then I would repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. And I got to wonder, like, is this what life is? An endless cycle of, of Jesus shampoo. Because what, what I'm reading in the Bible, what I was starting to read is that these guys are writing from a completely different perspective. These guys are writing and saying, clothe yourself. Jesus is saying, uh, you have living water inside you. And did I want this life of just an endless cycle of this? Or was there a way to embrace something more? Was there a way to start thinking of my life as something that needed to be created and brought to life? And, and therefore, how do I do it? Well, as a, as a creative person, uh, primarily songwriter and, and music writer, what I've discovered about the creative life is that most people would say that intrinsically related to creativity is the idea of play. So if you're trying to learn to be a creative person, a lot of people will say, well, you gotta learn to play. And so for a lot of us, we're like, what? You know, like play simply defined is something that makes no sense to the outside world. All right, I've got kids and I can't remember which one of them uh, it was at this point, but like they used to play with their feet. And one foot was named Footy, and one foot was named Feedy, and they would have puppet shows. And like Footy would talk to Feedy, and vice versa, and there would be these elaborate plays. It made no sense to me. But that sense of play set something free inside of a person to experiment and to allow things to grow up. So simply defined, play is something that makes no sense to the outside world. My wife can seldom understand when I spend time just writing words for the, for just for the heck of it. Words that never find any eyes to look at them. Riffs, guitar, songs that I make up that nobody has ever heard. And yet that sense of things that make no sense to anybody else develops something inside of me that produces an outflow of art. 
And I want to suggest to you that as people of God, we play. We play a lot, or at least we should. Because we do a whole host of things that make no sense to the outside world. We gather in a space like this and we sing songs together. And sometimes some of us cry when we sing and sometimes some of us raise our hands when we sing. You think that makes any sense to to the outside world? If somebody who had no idea just poked their head through that door over there and just saw what was going on, would that make any sense to them? In a way, no. But that is is play for us. It sets us free to bring things to light inside of us. We read scripture, at least we should. We sit with this book that is thousands of years old and we try to submit ourselves to its authority. Does that make any sense to an outside world that says, this book makes no sense, it contradicts itself, it's hard to understand, It's, it's archaic. It says crazy things. And yet we go, this is our book. May not, might not make sense to you, but we're called to study it and to know it. Some of us, we get alone by ourselves and we close our eyes and some of us do our hands like this or some of us stand like this and we lift up prayers, you know? And if somebody walked by, they'd be like, there's a crazy person in that room talking to the ceiling or talking to the floor. All of these things make no sense to an outside world. And yet, if we think of ourselves as artists who are trying to produce a life, this is what trains us. This is what brings things to light. And in this sense, we follow our master, Jesus, because Jesus played. If you read the Gospels, you see when Jesus goes away, he, he spends time uh, not eating not eating. Some of us do this now. We go through times of like saying, I'm not going to take any food for a day, for two days, for longer. Does that make sense to a world that is consumed with consumption? No. Jesus goes away and he says, I'm going to spend time doing these things. They may not make sense to you, but they are bringing to life in me a life that is transcendent. So he prays, he fasts, he studies his scripture. He's a brilliant theologian. He meditates. He spends time alone in solitude. Why? Because he is producing a life that we are called to emulate. This is way beyond Jesus' shampoo. And this is what produces a work of art. Uh, Julia Cameron, who's a book, who, uh, author who wrote a book called The Artist's Way, she says, serious art is born from serious play. And if our life is a work of art, then we are called to play in the form of worship, prayer, solitude, fasting, celebration, community. The list goes on and on and on and on. I want to just kind of show you a couple pictures. Uh, I've been reading and studying a lot about this guy, Michelangelo, who was uh, one of the masters of Western art, right? 
uh, he, this is the Sistine Chapel. He painted the Sistine Chapel in f- about a four-year span from 1508 to 1512. It was commissioned by Pope Julius II. And Michelangelo knew what it me- meant to produce a work of art. But I want to just kind of talk about two aspects of this. Artists, masters, don't just walk in and start to paint stuff like this. You don't wake up one morning and go, I think I'm going to paint the Sistine Chapel. Bam! He was apprenticed. And he spent years learning how to be an artist. And what's more, there were, there were parts of the Sistine Chapel, actually most of the Sistine Chapel was painted in a way that, that nobody could see what was happening. When he was producing this artwork, nobody could see it. Because it was covered up by canvas. Because they didn't want to drip paint on the floor. But also they just didn't want to watch people watch them work. So away from, from the public, he's up there changing the world of art. One brushstroke. One experiment, one play at a time. But here's the really, really revolutionary thing. Because if you know anything about Michelangelo, he wasn't uh, a fresco artist, which is what the Sistine Chapel's done in. He wasn't even a painter. Michelangelo was better known for things like this. I don't know what that is. It's David, the statue of David. We, this, is the, this is the church appropriate. Because from, from about down here... Not so appropriate. This is a statue of David. Next slide, please. This is the Pieta, which is uh, Mary and Jesus. He, he wasn't a painter. He was a sculptor. He was a sculptor. And so a lot of us sit here and we go, yeah, okay, I get this personifying thing. But that's not me. That's not me. I'm not salt, I'm not light, I'm not a living stone, I'm just me. Michelangelo wasn't a painter, he was a sculptor. But somebody came along and said, I am commissioning you. But Pope Julius, I'm not, I'm not a painter. This is your commission. You need to go produce a work of art. And brothers and sisters, friends, we are no different because we have a master and he has handed us a commission and he has said, go produce a work of art. But God, that's not me. I'm not salt. I'm not light. Uh, 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 uh. This is your commission. You need to go make it happen. So God has a rescue mission and I want everyone just do this. Hold up your hands. Just hold up your hands. God has a mission for this world, a mission of rescue and restoration. And do you know where it starts? Right here. Right here. God's rescue mission starts with our bodies, our hands, our abilities. That's his commission he's handing us. And it's up to us to play and train our lives so that we fulfill that commission. Not just any commission that we make up, the commission that we've been handed by our creator. Uh, I was watching a a TED talk this past week and this 
street artist uh, who just goes by J.R., uh, he had this to say about art. He said, art is not supposed to change the world, to change the practical things, but to change perceptions, to change the way we see the world. And I want to suggest to you that if you change somebody's perception, you've changed the world. If your life is a work of art, and you run up against somebody who thinks that this world is all there is, or money is all there is, or sex is all there is, and there's no life after death, and I don't care, just let the whole thing burn. Your life uh, as a piece of art, if that changes that person's perception, has the world changed? When one person goes from going like, you know what, I don't care about anything, to going, I was created with a wonderful purpose, and this world has an end that's going to be glorious and restored and hope matters. Do you think the world is different because that per person's perception is different? I want to suggest to you that amen, yes, it is. Your life as a work of art can change the world. It can change the world. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us that some of the perceptions, when the gospel comes to mess with the world, that's exactly what's going to happen. There's this hilarious quote in Acts 17 where these guys are, uh, Paul and Silas are running around. And, and this is what some of the guys say about him. They're like, Paul and Silas have, have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they're disturbing our city too. The gospel changes the world. Art changes the world if art is the gospel. Every time you see art somewhere, just substitute gospel and just see if that doesn't start messing with your mind. God is waiting for you to create a work of art and that work of art is your lives. And it's done through play. And it's done through things that, that make no sense to an outside world. But you do them. You do them. And the entire world will be different. Suzanne, can, can we see what you've been doing over here? I just asked Suzanne to, to create, you know. So this is what she's done so far. I think, are you going to be doing different things yeah. all day? So she's just going to create stuff because she's been trained to do it. She's done the time away from, away from this environment to know what it means to produce a work of, of art. And that's what we're called to do. So I want to invite us all to, to stand up. I'm just going to pray for us. And just going to ask God to mess with us a little bit on this subject. So if you guys would pray, I'm just going to pray and send out. God, you, uh, as, as, as we say over and over again, you have a purpose and a plan for this world. And it is not for it to end in darkness and despair, but it's to end in hope and restoration. And God, we are the works of art that you want to use. And somehow, God, you call us to partner with that. So God, I pray that we will become people of those verbs that we saw, that we would learn how to clothe ourselves, that we would learn how to put on Christ to, to strip off bad things in our lives and to be changed from, from just plain old you know, Eric's and, and Suzanne's and Evan's into salt and light and vines, God. God, we want to be works of art for your purposes. Help us to create the masterpiece 
that you've called us to create. And God, we will give you all the glory for your purposes in this earth today and every day. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you.